1 John chapter 5. I hope you have enjoyed this series on 1 John. You may have noticed I really haven't tapped into chapter 5. I'm going to take a break from 1 John and I'll come back and finish up chapter 5 maybe next summer. Uh, when I have a time to do uh, a series to, to kind of to finish it off. Uh, but we're entering the Advent season, and so we're going to do a special series on Advent, uh, the coming of Christ, Behold, a Savior has been born, starting next Sunday, and we'll carry that through December. Then we enter our time of fasting and prayer in January, and so we've got a lot of great things in the days, in the days ahead. One of the verses we've looked at over and over again, just to kind of remind us, is this uh, from chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, where he says, We know that the Son of God came so we could recognize and understand the truth of God. What a gift. We, I mean, really, isn't it a gift? That we can understand and recognize God's truth as people are looking for truth. We're living in the truth itself in God's Son, Jesus Christ, This Jesus is both true God and real life. Dear children, be on guard against all clever facsimiles. We want to walk in true life, real love, to understand the direction and plan that God has for us. Benjamin Franklin, in 1789, wrote these words, Nothing is certain but... Hello? Are you still with me? Nothing is certain but what? Death and taxes. Death and taxes, he said, are the only two certain things. Well, one of the things that John wants to know, wants us to know is that we can know more than just about death and taxes. Uh, John, in this book, writes over 30 times the word know, that you can know. And eight times in this final chapter does he indicate to us that we can know. This should be an assurance for us that we don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. Because many of the mistakes that we make as Christians are because we continually walk in doubt. We continually wonder. And John wants us to know. Now, he doesn't, he's not saying you're going to know everything, but he wants you to know what's important. He wants you to know that you're in relationship with God. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. In chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, the verses I want to focus on as we close out this section of studying about 1 John, he says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Only Again, I've said this over and over and over again, and he, he reiterates it again. There are only two alternatives. Walking in Jesus' life, not walking in Jesus, not having life. There's no middle ground. There's no third road. There's no alternative to these two things. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. He doesn't want us to wonder Now, you'll remember this is not the first book in the New Testament that John has written. He also wrote the Gospel of John, and in John chapter 20, verse 31, he said, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
So the Gospel of John was written to show people who Jesus is so that they would believe and have eternal life. 1 John, you remember, is written to those who already say they believe, but he wants us to have assurance. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. As we enter this season of Thanksgiving and Advent and celebration of Christmas, I think it's important for us to know that we have life, eternal life. And remember, the definition of eternal life is not merely what happens when you die. Uh, I've tried to say that several times. I hope you put that definition aside to understand that when you walk into life with Jesus, from that moment, you're moving from death to life. Death to eternal life, which starts at the moment that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. John wants you to know that you have life. Now, this should excite us more than it does. uh, Because many of us are running on emotions that say, "Uh, you know, life is not all that hot or life is not that good. Here's my two-point sermon. You should be excited. It's only two points. (laughs) Here's my two-point sermon, just to kind of line it up. There is a terrible danger of false assurance. A terrible danger of false. Thinking we're walking in truth but not walking in truth is very dangerous. But there's also a magnificent blessing that comes from knowing, from true assurance. So I want to look at these two ideas this morning, these two truths, really, that... John is giving us here. So let's start with the first. The terrible danger of false assurance. False assurance. He, he says, I write to you these things that you may know. Or, excuse me. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Some years ago, I had a conversation with my brother who is a pastor of a church in South Florida. And... <clears throat> we were discussing the merits and purposes of life insurance. How much life insurance do you have? How much life insurance should you have? How much should we cover? It was when we we had young kids and we were both talking about what would happen if one of us um, died. I think really secretly we were were saying, don't leave it on me. Get enough insurance (laughs) that I'm not the one having to cover your hindquarters. So... uh, and we were just talking about insurance, but in the conversation, he talked about a, um, a friend of his, a brother in his church, who had come with a need for help. His friend was in poor health, and he only had one life insurance policy, and now he had entered a stage where his health was so poor that he could not obtain another life insurance policy. You understand? For those of you who know life insurance, you know that you got to be healthy to get it, and if you get unhealthy, it's almost impossible then to get without paying an incredible amount. But the brother that came could no longer work, and so he was about to not be able to pay his life insurance policy, and then it would lapse and he would lose it. He knew that he was facing death, so my brother's church helped him. I I can't remember the exact amount of money, but they helped by paying the the premiums on the life insurance policy so that he wouldn't lose it. Sure enough, the the friend did pass away. 
And when he died, some time later, his widow came to my brother and shared that the policy was not all that they thought it was, that it had depreciated over time and it actually resulted in almost nothing, really just enough to bury the friend. See, it, isn't it very, even for us right now, it's, it's kind of upsetting even to think about that. It's upsetting to think you have something of value only to find out that it's in reality worthless. To me, it illustrates the futility of dead religion and false assurance. Here's the terrible thing about being deceived. You don't know you're deceived. Nobody goes around saying, oh, you know, I'm deceived and I love it. I love walking in. I mean, there are a few, you know, crazy folk around who who don't mind uh, being in Wonderland. But for most of us, we we don't want to be there. John says, "I write these things to you, these things to you." Now, this Bible verse, by the way, is often misused in other contexts. But the Bible here, he's saying that you can know that you can have eternal life. He's written these things to us that we can know. Here's one of the, I mean, we have so many things within the church, and I can't even hit on all what I see as false assurances. But sometimes we say to people, hey, just pray a prayer and you're in. Is that really true? We just say pray a prayer and boom, you, good news, you're in. John writes some more things to people. He says these things. It's a little more in-depth, wouldn't you say, of the things we've looked at? Now, it's not to say we don't enter into, into the kingdom of God by praying a prayer of faith that's a legitimate prayer of faith, but just mimicking some words doesn't mean we're in. It doesn't mean that we're changed. See, you can put your faith in a lot of different things, and you can believe those things with passion, and you can be passionately wrong. I mean, listen, people do not walk into restaurants and blow themselves up because they're not passionately engaged in that false belief. I mean, you're not going to give your life to something like that. You're not going to strap a suicide vest on. You're not going to kill people. You're not going to do things like that unless you're passionately engaged and really believe what you're involved in. But you can be passionately, passionately wrong. John wants to make it clear that there are some things, these things, that he's written to help us know that we have eternal life. Of course, he's written, he's referring to all that he's written in the first four and a half chapters of this book. Let me summarize it for you. He says that, that if you're a Christian, it is because you have been born of God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has made you his children. I'm going to refer back to this several times today because these two points overlap. But he's saying you're born of God because God birthed you. His nature is in you. You belong to him. You walk with him. Another way of saying that is that that you've been born of God and now you believe you have faith in God. But 
how do you know that this has happened? How do you know that you've been born of God and that you're walking in faith? What are the evidences that you have been born of God and that you now believe? And John writes about the, what I, I would call the concept of inevitability. Inevitability. If you are born of God, then you are, will inevitably look like this. Uh, my, my children look like, well, they look more like Kathy, praise God, but they look like me and Kathy. But the Brookings children, you can pretty well tell one. I mean, they have a, a specific look about them. Uh, and, and really what John is saying is if you're born of God, you're going to have the look of God in your life. You're going to have his spiritual DNA active within you. Now, here's where the church screws this up so big. We mess it up so big. We say, if you want to look like God, then you have to do this. Hello? If you want to look like God, you got to do, you got to do this. And John is not saying that at all. He's saying, you look like God because, therefore, you're doing these things. Because you're born of him, inevitably, you're going to act like this. What does he say? What are the things he says? He says, you're going to not continue to sin. Well, that's takes most of us off the page right there, doesn't it? He's just saying, you're not going to have a desire to continue to walk in sin if you've been born of God. He's not saying a doctrine of perfectionism, like you're going to be perfect, praise God. But he's going to say, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, you can overcome worldliness. You're going to want to obey God. You're going to want to do what he is calling you to do. You will love one another. You can't say you love God and hate one another. You're a liar. Because you can't love God whom you've not seen and say you hate your brother whom you have seen. You'll be committed to the truth. These are the birthmarks of being a child of God. Now, you may say, well, what if I don't have these in my life? Well, maybe you should reevaluate where you are in your relationship with him. Again, I'm not saying, please don't mishear me. Here's the false assurance. The false assurance is this. If I do these things, I will be. God says, you are, therefore you'll do these things. False assurance is anything that bases itself upon works. And John has been trying very clearly to say, these things... These things that you believe because Christ has done this in you, you've been born of God. You may be thinking I'm, I'm hitting this over and over again, but again, I am. Because, I, I mean, I walk out the door and I struggle with this. Oh, God is mad at me because I didn't do or because I saw or because I said. Yeah, usually it's because I said. That's my biggest problem. I have trouble with filtering because I think everything is really funny. But what God is saying about me is this. These things I've written to you that you can believe, you can know who you are. And he really leads to the second word, these things, and then the word believe, which is really critical. Believe in the name of the Son of God. Again, what we believe is really important. Hello. What we believe is really important. 
Allstate Insurance just did a study of 2,500 drivers. 25, and the one thing they found out is that we, we judge other drivers by their actions. We judge other drivers by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Right? I mean, the way we drive... Oh, that stupid driver, look at what he did. Well, if he knew that I was in a hurry, surely he'd understand that I have to burst my car into this small space to get to where I'm going quickly. We judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. Time magazine last month released an article entitled, Why We Continue to Lie to Ourselves. Uh, the study in- indicated and was really a study about um, the truth that it's understandable why we lie to other people. I mean, that's not even a study worth doing, right? Why we lie to others, uh, because we want to look better. I mean, there's tons of stuff. But they wanted to know, why do we continue to lie to ourselves in the face of overwhelming evidence that the thing is not true? And you know, people will continue to stand on that, even in overwhelming evidence They'll continue to believe something about themselves. Why? Because in our hearts and in our very nature, we're deceivers and we're deceived. (laughs) Wait a minute. Are you saying I'm naturally a liar? Listen. Yes, I am. That's the basic idea. But the understanding is this. Apart from God, you are in the kingdom of darkness ruled by a, a devil whose very job description is that of a liar. Are you with me? I mean, that's his job. And we just, it becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of our nature. Even the best of us, when we, apart from the grace of God, we just, we just lie. And we believe lies. And we'll hold on to the belief of lies in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Because we want to believe the best about ourselves. Only when we're transferred into the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of life, are we going to stand for truth and life. John is saying it's important how and what you believe. And belief is not just mere mental assent. It's an understanding that God has done everything for us. It's an act of faith in which we step out. It's why in Chapter 4, verse 10, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Again, this idea of born of God and knows God. This false assurance has to do with going the wrong direction and thinking you're going to get to God in a certain way when you're not and believing the wrong things. So there's, there's multiple things going on here that contribute to false assurance. Mainly, it has to do with works and lies. Works and lies. And they go pretty closely together. Are you with me? The danger of false assurance. And again, the danger is you think you're walking in truth when you're not. Therefore, You'll just continue down the road that leads to 
to some sort of destruction. I, I, I don't want to hear, hit this really, really long, but let me just give you an application. I, I've spoken to people over the years who were headed down a destructive path. I'm on the outside. I'm kind of like an observer watching them head into this. I mean, your desire is to snatch them and just to say, dude, you you are headed for a, a wreck here. Can't you see it? Can't you see the wall that you're going to at 100 miles an hour? Sister, can't you see that this is going to destroy your life? And they cannot see it. There's like blinders. They've either justified or, or refused to re- accept or refused to believe. And, and it's one of those deals where at any other point you would, you would do anything you could physically to take them away from the situation. All you can do is proclaim truth. Pray God, let their eyes be open to the, to the. You know, here's the terrible thing. I know I'm doing the same thing. Because I've, I'm human and I've got blinders on. That's why I need people in my life as well who say, dude, where are you going? What's going on in your life? We all need that. Because if, if not, and apart from the grace of God, we're all headed down the wrong way. But God has rescued us. Here's the great thing. Here's the good, good news. We have a magnificent blessing in, in walking in true assurance. 1 John five twelve says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Son, life. No son, no life. This past week, I was, uh, this whole thing about insurance, I was talking to my brother again, because <clears throat> I do that. <laughs> he just lost his home insurance. Not, not anything he did. He had, a, he had a claim against his insurance um, because they had a flood in their house, and his insurance company dumped him because of his claim, and they're doing that in South Florida. No insurance company wants to be in South Florida, so don't anybody else move to South Florida. We've had enough of that anyway. Uh, but anyway, they're dumping their insurance, and his insurance was going up like triple to go to another company, because, and it didn't include hurricane insurance, no wind, wind damage, because they're afraid that they're going to have another major hurricane in South Florida and that it's going to bankrupt some insurance companies. So the state had to step. Long story. My point was, I started thinking, how much money in insurance am I actually paying? How much money am I, me personally, because we were comparing, I was feeling really good about myself because my house insurance, I don't have to worry about a flood or a hurricane or that kind of thing. So I looked up, because he was saying, how much do you pay in home insurance? So I looked it up, and it caused me to look up all my other insurance stuff as well. Dude, I, I got so much insurance, it's unbelievable. I got life insurance, home insurance, car insurance. I mean, I'm running a fleet of wrecks, but the law demands that I have insurance on all these cars. And I've got four drivers under the age of 23. So you just do the math. 
car insurance, health insurance, which is the bulk of my insurance. Thank you, President Obama, for what you've done to my insurance. Disability insurance. I, I, I'm not going to give you the number, because, but I will tell you this. It is a third of my annual total income package. A third, one-third of what I make or don't even see because the church pays most of my health insurance. But still, adding that in, over a third of it goes to some sort of insurance. I I was stunned. And you know, all all of my insurance policies except one are, well, all except for two are mandated by law. Car insurance, health insurance, uh, what was the other one? Oh, my uh, home insurance. All of those are mandated either by the bank or law. I have no choice in those. Insurance, the whole idea, because I'm no expert on insurance other than I'm paying a truckload of money for it. Money I really don't have. Money I wish I could get back. I could go on with this. But, the idea of insurance, I'm paying now for the possibility of something that could happen later. I'm paying against a fire at my house or somebody, the iron does not get turned off. Or one of my children decides to play demolition derby again. Or um, any, any of the other possibilities that might happen. I'm paying for something that's going to happen later. They're going to then compensate me. What it got me to thinking was many of us treat Christianity like it's an insurance policy rather than it's assurance. The difference is this. I pay in, things happen later that are good to me. The Christian life is not like that at all. The Christian life is God has done this for me. Now I have assurance based on the gift that he's paid into me. Am I making any sense here? There's a big difference. If I, if I treat Christianity like it's insurance, I have no confidence. Have I paid enough? Have I not paid enough? Have I done enough? Or is he going to cover me when the time comes? Is it going to happen or am I going to be like that guy who thought he had something but didn't have something? Assurance is this. God has gifted me with his son in Jesus Christ. He has gifted me in life. I've been born again because of what he's done in my life. Therefore, because it's all about what he's done, I have assurance. You know, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory. I have a foretaste now of the glory because of the assurance of what Christ has done in me. A couple of verses. I'm going to cruise through these just through 1 John 5. One and four, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. He's saying that even your faith is a victory that was accomplished through Jesus Christ. It's not like the little engine that could. That's how we treat Christianity and faith. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Yeah, did it. I'm over the mountain. You can think about it all you want, but you ain't going to get there. Faith is a gift that comes from Jesus Christ, that comes through him by God's grace into our lives. Now you're an overcomer. 
This is really good if you really think about it just a little more. Pray about it. Chapter 6 in John, going back to the gospel. Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, you can write this down. I really don't have time to really get into the depth of this. But Jesus is basically saying, hey, if you come to me and drink, you'll never be thirsty. Come to me and eat, you'll never be hungry. But you dopes, you see me, and you still don't believe. I mean, why is that? Because unless the Father draws you, unless you allow the presence and power of the Spirit of God, you are drawn into this relationship. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them where? Out of my hand. I'm giving it to you, and I'm holding on to you at the same time. Chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It almost makes you believe. If you're not careful, you'll end up Presbyterian. I mean, really. The whole idea of God choosing us and, and holding on to us makes it sound like, well, I got no part in this. How come God chose me and not him and blah, blah, blah? Listen, here's what I want you to, here's how I want you to walk in. God, you are chosen by God. You, you are in his hand. It's all a gift from him. A gift from him. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. We have the Son because we have life. I think I said that backwards. We have life because we have the Son. What does it mean to have? What does is mean? You know, we're if. It seems like we're parsing little words, but have is really important here. If I were to say, I have a dollar, or I have a cold, or I have a lawyer, it has a certain meaning to it. It's something common. It's different than having Jesus, I understand, but there is a commonality there. It means that, that whatever is in my possession does its thing for me. In other words, if I have a dollar, then I can use the power that a dollar represents to buy something. If I have a cold, I'm going to have the sniffles. If I have a lawyer, then I can, you know, do what lawyers do. He's representing me. If you have the sun, then you have all the power of the sun at your, in your life, at work within you. The sun does his thing in you. There's a movie years ago, and I'll try and summarize it quickly. It was called A Passage to India. It was one of those really slow-moving British films that critics love. Um, it's like from mid-'80s, 1984. It's a book by Ian Forster. Uh, 
I love the book. I didn't like the, the movie near as much. But there, it's the story of this Indian set in India during the British colonization of India. There's an Indian doctor who is falsely accused of sexually assaulting a British woman. And he is a poor doctor, but he's got a great reputation. Now, the full weight of the British Empire is brought against him. And for his position, it is hopeless. Hopeless. I mean, he's, he's Indian. He's being accused by a British uh, aristocracy of, in this false accusation. He's in prison. He has no hope. Well, this British lawyer who is in India uh, reads about the case and decides he's going to take on the case himself. He's the best-known attorney in India. He's the best-known British attorney, and he goes to defend this guy. And I remember this scene in the movie and in the book where the the Indian lawyers, the Indian doctor's friends go to the jail cell and tell him that this well-known attorney is going to come and represent him. And the guy says, I have no money. And they tell him he's not even going to charge a fee. He's going to charge you nothing. Now, this doctor whose situation was hopeless has a lawyer. He says, okay, he can be my lawyer. He receives the gift and says, I have a lawyer. How did he come to have the best lawyer in India? Well, there's a mixture of motivations that this attorney has, this lawyer has. Um, He's pretty egotistical, number one. So he wants to go against the British Empire. He wants to show them his skill in lawyering or whatever the word is. And at the same time, he feels like the Indian people are being mistreated. So he chooses this one case specially to represent the guy. And I remember the scene in the movie, too, where the lawyer just, there's this chaos going on around him. Everything's starting to break loose as he defends the guy, and he just sits there, just calmly with a confidence, basically saying, I've got this. I've got this. I, it, something about it struck me, even at the time and in the reading of the book, about what it means to have Jesus. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to make it. I can't do this. I'm powerless. But if I have Jesus, he's the calm in the storm. He's confident because he's God and he's already accomplished. His work is finished. It's done. The devil has been defeated. He sees beyond what I can see. I'm caught up in the middle of the chaos. I'm caught up in the junk of my own life. I'm, the, I'm messing up. I'm screwing up. I've, I've, things have gone bad all around me. But if I have Jesus, I have the magnificent blessing of true assurance if I continue to look to him. Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. If it were by works, then we could boast. But because it's not by works, no one can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I've preached on this passage before because I, I, I love it, and to me it presents the gospel, which is this. We were dead in our transgressions. We are dead, dead. Dead things can't make themselves alive. But God, God, who is rich in grace and mercy, made us alive, which we received by this gift of faith, which he also gives us. It activates the grace that God has given us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, now, alive in him, we are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship, which he created in advance for us to do these works, which shine to the world to say, I'm God's masterpiece. It's not a place of arrogance. It's a place of saying God's light is shining through me so that his works are displayed through all the wor- to all the world. So is it faith or works? It is, it is both. It's faith that gets me here, but now I'm God's masterpiece displaying for the world the works that he's given me. It's the law of inevitability at work. Because of who I am, now I, now I walk this out. What if I stumble and fall and mess up? Well, the assurance is this. God's grace got you this far. His grace is going to take you home. Doesn't mean I intend it. But at the same time, that's the true assurance is that he got me into this. He's holding me in his hand. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Don't you think it makes a big difference in how I live my life? If I'm walking in false stuff versus true. Here's my question to you today. Are you treating your Christian life with assurance or like it's insurance? One is life-giving. One is a slippery slope that's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. It'll always leave you questioning, always leave you wondering, always leave you in doubt. John says, I write these things to you that you can know. You can know. Don't you want to know that you have eternal life? Not have in the sense, but have eternal life. The now of eternal life that you can be walking in. We're going to pray for one another. You may be here today and saying, Wow, I, I've never seen these, I've never thought about it in this light before. I want to walk in the assurance that I know that I have eternal life. Hey, today can be a day of unbelievable freedom for you. Incredible freedom. Now you're not, you're not worried about what other people think. You're not worried about performance anxiety. You're not worried about doing the right things. You're You are assured of what Christ has done for you. Come and get prayer. Let somebody pray for you. There's no condemnation here, people. That's the devil 
who's condemning you. God wants you to walk in freedom and say, hey, turn. Turn and walk in this direction. Go here with me. Maybe here today and you need prayer for healing. We believe in a God who heals. Maybe you need burdens lifted or direction from God. Come and receive prayer. Stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you as I do. Ministry teams are going to come to the front. Our worship team is going to come and get ready to play. And then we're going to just see what God will do. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to share and to look at your word together. And I pray that, God, your grace would be manifest in our lives. Lord, I wish I understood all of this better. But, Lord, where my mind can't get hold of all the aspects of... Lord, I just in faith receive from you. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who have not been treating their Christian faith in a way that helps them walk in true life and true assurance, and I pray, God, for freedom to to break through. The truth of who they are in Christ to prevail. I pray for those who need healing. God, touch them and heal them. God, for those who need freedom from burdens, especially the freedom of false assurance and false belief, Lord, free them. For direction, whatever the case may be, as we pray for one another, Spirit of God, move mightily in this place. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer, just move right now. Just come and receive prayer from one of these 